0: Go ahead and turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, and we will continue where we left off last week in chapter two, and we're still working our way through what we've titled the dead-end streets. And remember, when we talk about dead-end streets, we're talking about finding lasting meaning and purpose in life. And see, the problem with the way that this world is structured is we are so sensical, um, and what I mean by that is, is we typically pursue things that, that stimulate our senses. That's typically what we do in terms of our pursuit in life. Try to find meaning and happiness and, and purpose and all of these things that stimulate our senses. And what we have in the book of Ecclesiastes, at least here in the, in the first couple chapters, is Solomon is basically saying, look, I've checked it all out. I've gone down all of these roads. In fact, I had more resources to do things that you and I couldn't even do because he was the wealthiest man that ever lived. He was the the wisest man the scriptures tell us that ever lived. So he had access to exploring and experimenting with all of these different pleasure sources. And he gets to the end and he says, guys, turn around. They're all dead ends. Turn around. They're all dead ends. And so we've been looking at this for a couple of weeks now and so we're in part 4 of this and this morning we're going to cover verses 10 through 17 what we've covered so far and these are our 7 dead end streets is we've covered the first 5 but last week we didn't actually finish the workaholic section and remember when we talk about workaholic we're talking about somebody that fly, finds or obtains pleasure in achievements uh, this could even be somebody that finds and obtains pleasure in hobbies, right? Because Solomon goes through this list. Well, I made houses and I made vineyards and I did this and I did this. And by all stretches of imagination, Solomon was a successful man in the eyes of the world. And he's pulling down the street past you as you and I are going headlong the same direction he did. And he's pulling down the street saying, turn around. Turn around, it's a dead end. Don't make your life about pursuing achievements, pursuing accomplishments. In fact, we looked, there was a key word starting in verse 4 through verse eight in chapter two, and he said it this way, I made my works great, I built myself houses, I planted myself vineyards, myself, myself, myself. And and we said this last week, don't kid yourself, don't deceive yourself, don't try to talk yourself into better motives than what you might have. Many times when we go after achievements, we go after things that give us an attaboy, pat on the back, we like to say, well, I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this for others. I'm I'm doing this because I care about this person or this person. And many times, if we're being honest with ourselves before the Lord, we're doing it for ourselves. We're doing it because we obtain some kind of pleasure or benefit from us. And at least Solomon's honest. He's like, you know what? That's exactly what I did it for. I did it for myself. I gained pleasure from these things. And what he finds out is that he did gain pleasure in these things, but it was emptied. Of meaning and lasting purpose. That's what we're going to see this morning. And I found an interesting quote from a celebrity back in 1990. You might recognize this guy. He's a few years uh, younger uh, then, but in 1990, he said this about his pursuit of of uh, accomplishment. He said, "My attention span is short." Probably my least favorite thing to do is to maintain the status quo. Instead of being content when everything is going fine, I start getting impatient and irritable. For me, the important thing is the getting, not the having. And does that describe every three or four-year-old little boy or girl anticipating Christmas? (laughs) It's... It's the getting, not the having. I, I remember uh, dis- distinctly multiple children in my family who, as a little kid, when they finally got the concept of, the, of a present, you know, like the first couple Christmases, they're just playing with the box, you know, like we could have saved hundreds of dollars and just bought them boxes or even got them free at Walmart. So they're just playing with the box. But once they figured out the present concept, I remember uh, one in particular, and I won't mention their name because then I'm going to be out some money, but... Um, They would open a gift and then it was almost like next, like open the gift, move it next, open the gift, move it next until the next ran out. And then it was like a major emotional meltdown because there wasn't any more. And, you know, this is the the stripped away attitude of the person who's pursuing achievements and accomplishments in life. It will never be enough. There's, there's always going to be something more that you want to do. And what it, what it is, it's like that carrot that just stays out in front of your hand. You can never quite grasp it. Or as, as Solomon uses, this idea of mist or fog. You go to grab fog and what happens? It goes right through your, your hand. You can't get your arms around this. This doesn't provide that lasting meaning in life. And so we're going to finish this section today, but we're also going to move into what we've titled the Puritan section, where, where Solomon's going to take a more noble pursuit toward finding life's meaning, and, and we're going to see that he does that through pursuing wisdom. And you say, well, well wisdom's the key, right? I mean, wisdom's good. Well, we'll see. That's, this is what he's going to pursue. He's going to tell us about. And so as we get into verse 10, verse 10 says this, "'Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor.'" And when you think about the all-inclusive statements here, look at, look at those closely in verse 10. It's whatever my eyes desired. It's any pleasure. I didn't withhold any pleasure. Um, my heart rejoiced in all my labor. See, Solomon was a guy that had everything at his disposal. He, he had everything at his disposal. Nothing was off limits. He could attain anything. Literally, he had it all. He's... More than, more than anybody else that's ever lived, Solomon had it all. And so what do you want to do when somebody has it all? Many times you want to listen to what they have to say because they have achieved things that you're shooting or striving for. And what we find out is this, meaning and purpose in life is not found in what you do not have or possess. And see, that is a lesson that if we can learn right now, we can say, you know what, I believe what he's saying in Ecclesiastes. You know what? I'm going to structure my life now accordingly based on what Solomon found. And yet for many of us, we say, oh yeah, that's good. I I hear what Solomon's saying, but I'm going to try this. And I'm going to try this. And I'm going to try this. And see, we think that maybe somehow, some way, Solomon missed another road or path to pleasure and success and lasting meaning under the sun apart from God. And so I'm going to go find that. And see, Solomon's trying to save us a lot of time. And he's trying to say, you know what? There is no lasting meaning or purpose outside of fellowship with God. And guess what? Fellowship with God and not a lot of things is still happiness. It's still true joy, in fact. There's, there's true pleasure when you're in fellowship with the Lord and pursuing the things that he would have us pursue. That's going to be the end goal. And, you know, one of the greatest illustrations I've seen in this lately is is this young lady right here? And some of you know who this is. Some of you are like, who is that? It's, uh, Ariana Grande. She's a, she's a popular singer. She came out with a song called Seven Rings, um, earlier this year in January. The song spent about eight weeks at the, the top of the Billboard 100 in our country. It also uh, topped the charts in several other countries. You can see the list up there. Very successful song. Um, and it also made the top 10 in certain other countries. It didn't make the top spot, but I want to, I just want to share the lyrics. Lyrics with you because the the lyrics are very insightful into the way that our culture thinks, what the culture, uh, how we're influenced. And I want to just tell you Solomon could have written this song back when he was alive. This is exactly what's illustrated here. And I'm not going to read all the lyrics, but uh, first, this isn't the chorus. We'll get to the chorus here in a second. My wrists stop watching, my neck is flossy, make big deposits, my gloss is popping. You like my hair, gee thanks, just bought it. I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. And then I want it, I got it. I want it, I got it, I want it, I got it, I want it, I got it. You like my hair, gee thanks, just bought it. I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. That's exactly what Solomon just said in verse 10. I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. And that's how he lived his life. I want to show you something else. That song was released in January 2019 This was a tweet that the same singer sent out in April of 2019. She says, I just feel empty. I want to have more to say, better energy to give to you, and right now I don't have anything. And you know what? That's tragic. That's tragic. That's somebody that has a lot of stuff, that has a lot of fame, that has a lot of goods, just like Solomon did. And guess what she found out? that this is true. This is true. This is practical. This is real life. This is is where the rubber meets the road. And so, you know, I look out on a sea of faces this morning, and, and I just wonder, do we believe this? Is this going to reshape priorities that we've been setting in our life or are we just gonna go out and say yeah that's good but go out and just do the same thing or we're we gonna allow this to reprioritize our thinking and shape us into a mode where we can begin to enjoy life because God wants you to enjoy life but he wants you to enjoy it in a certain way in fellowship with him and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ I'm just telling you you are not wired to enjoy life without fellowship with the Lord you're not wired that way That's why you may find yourself irritable, anxious, upset, irritated all the time. You're missing out on the very thing that God wants to give you to to allow you to have abundant life in Jesus Christ. It's all yours. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You've got it. It's not that you're lacking or you need to go get something else. You have it. We want to start taking advantage of that. And part of that is changing the way that we think, not being about pleasure apart from God or pleasure apart from fellowship with the Lord. And, you know, as you look at Solomon, you know, one of the things that got him in trouble was the fact that he had resources. You know, for, for many people, a lack of resources is actually a blessing. It keeps us out of trouble. It, it keeps us away from the things we could be doing that would harm us even more. And, you know, that's why for many people, too much success uh, financially or materially can actually cause tremendous failure and tremendous misery in our life. And, you know, I remember as a young man, the, the one thing I wanted more than anything, I just wanted to be rich. I just wanted to be rich. I wanted to drive a nice car. I wanted to have a nice house. I wanted to have, um, you know, just everything at my disposal. I just wanted to be rich. I didn't want to have to worry about money. And, you know, I thank God that he's never made me rich. Because <laughs> now, because now I know a little bit more about myself and what I'm capable of, of the evil that lies within me than I did when I was 18. See, when I was 18, you've, you've seen the old bumper sticker, like hire a teenager while they still know everything. You've heard that, that bumper sticker? You know, it was like hire a teenager while he still thinks he's good. And he still thinks he, he, he's not capable of doing bad things or uh, being exposed in that way. And yet, you know, s- sometimes too much success actually harms people. Do you know that according to sociologists in our day, that the new at-risk youth, you know who they are? They, this is a category. They, they quantify it. At-risk youth. And we're thinking, oh, it's gotta be those kids that grow up in Chicago and Baltimore and, you know, downtown Atlanta. These are the at-risk youth. No, it's, it's middle to upper-class teenagers. That's the new at-risk youth. Success, again, we, we've got to reorient our thoughts. Success is not what the world defines as success. Success is what the Lord defines as success. And you know what? It's better to have a little with the Lord than it is to have a lot without the Lord. And you can can talk to people who have had a lot without the Lord, and they will tell you that, that tweet is the mantra of people who have everything but who have nothing. And yet for even people in the church, when we think carnally, we think that's what we need. We would love to be Ariana Grande. We would love to be King Solomon. We would love to be whoever. Just put, you know, put, it, put it in your favorite football player, baseball player, whoever, actress, actor. That's who we'd love to be. And I'm telling you, you got something much more than that. You possess something much greater than that. Why are we longing for something that will result in misery when we've got something that can give us pure joy, right here in Noonan, Georgia, in the job that you have, in the marriage that you have, with the children that you have, with the friends that you have, right now, right in it, right where you're at. You can have joy. It's incredible because Solomon, according to his culture, was a true success by every measurable standard in society of his day. He was a success. But you know what's really fascinating about that is, is, is this. And, and let's be real. The issue is not fun in Ecclesiastes. Let's just call it what it is. Solomon had fun checking out all these experiments. He enjoyed himself. That's not the issue. Pleasure is enjoyable in the moment. That's not the issue at all. We're We're not up here lying and saying that some of these things aren't fun or some of these things don't give you pleasure. We know that they do. What we're saying is simply this. That's not the issue in Ecclesiastes. What he's after is not how can you have fun for a day, but how can you have meaning for a lifetime? Not how how you can have fun in the moment, but how you can have purpose in your life as a lasting, settled conviction that you are up every day doing what it is that the creator of the universe designed you to do and to be involved in. That is priceless. It's like those old MasterCard commercials, you know, this This costs something, but this is price. That's priceless. If you got that, you got something. You've got riches and you've got success according to the Lord. Now, how did he do this? How did he get all this stuff? Well, we see that it was a reward from all of his labor. Reward simply means he shared in something. It was an assigned portion. He he earned it, if you will. And and part of the the stuff he he didn't earn, right? He was the king's son, so he got given some things. But he used that, and he he created more. He he developed even more riches. And so there was nothing wrong with the fact that his heart rejoiced in his labor. In other words, there's nothing wrong with taking pleasure in what you've done if you've done something successfully. We're not criticizing that. What we are saying is this. That's all he got. That's what he got. He got the momentary pleasure that success brings or achievement brings. He got it. Another story, and I hate to keep talking about myself, but, you know, um, I remember as a young man growing up in high school, and, and I'm a big Dallas Cowboys fan, okay? So don't, don't hate me for that if some of y'all don't like the Cowboys, but I grew up that way. As a kid. Uh, as a kid, I grew up that way. My family moved to Northern Virginia, which is the heart of the Washington Redskins territory. And that was like the rivalry of of the century, you know, in the 70s and 80s. I'm in Washington, D.C. in 1989. And those of you that are sports fans will remember 1989 with the Cowboys. Those of you that won't, let me just put it in perspective. They went 1-15. in And their, their arch rivals won the Super Bowl that year. So it was a miserable time to be a Cowboy fan in middle school with a bunch of friends that love the Redskins, right? I remember just, just watching this team transform in the early 90s. And then all of a sudden, we're Super Bowl contenders. And, you know, I remember the day that they were building up to the Super Bowl. And I remember when that last whistle was blown. And it was just like I had experienced at Christmas all the years growing up. As soon as that whistle blew and the season was over, They were Super Bowl champs, and I was like, "Ah, such a letdown. I mean, it was was great for the moment. I loved it. I screamed. I cheered. I high-fived my dad. I mean, we we ate another whole bag of chips after the game was over. I mean, we were pumped, right? But eventually, it was a letdown. It was a letdown. It wasn't that I didn't enjoy it. It just didn't provide lasting meaning. And with Jerry Jones as the owner, it never provides lasting meaning. So it's just always in a state of flux, right? So, but the point is this, that is how achievements are. This is all he got. He got a little bit of joy from his labor, but then as soon as it was was over, there's no lasting meaning. And it's kind of like the quote from Donald Trump earlier, "The, the pursuit was in the getting. And once I had it, I didn't want it anymore. I wanted to go get more. And that's what Solomon sees. It's interesting because in verse 11, he, he stops to analyze. It says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Solomon, he, he stops, right? In fact, all of these pursuits, remember what he said, I'm pursuing this, but I'm maintaining my wisdom. I'm keeping my wisdom with me. In other words, I'm not just randomly just trying things. I'm strategically, intentionally investigating which of these pleasures lead to lasting meaning. And so he stops again. He analyzes everything he says. He says he looked on. It means to, to face or turn towards it, to consider and so after toiling and putting a lot of energy into these tasks, we looked at that last week, all of these works and labors that he did, he's now turning towards them, and he's going to honestly assess, was it worth it? Did this get me what I was hoping that would get me? And you know what he finds? Basically, our, our word for the book of Ecclesiastes, it was vanity. It was missed. mist. It was fog. What should have provided clarity, all these different experiments, what should have provided clarity, it didn't help him at all. He didn't even get closer to the answer he was looking for in doing all these things. Indeed, all was vanity, not just some, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. One of the things that Solomon found, and this is so important, pleasure always promises more than it can deliver. Pleasure always promises more than it can deliver. And, and like one commentator said, he said, its ad agency, its advertising agency pleasures is better than its manufacturing department, right? It's, you got, they got, it's got a great sales force and it's got no production to back up the sales force. And that's what pleasure does. It can sell you, it can convince you that this is what you need. And then when it comes to backing up its claims, it cannot deliver. And that's exactly what Solomon found. You know, and at the end of life, as Solomon is looking back at his life, he's seen all of these things on earth as it relates to pursuing pleasure, and he realizes it's it's transitory. It's not lasting. It doesn't give this meaning. In other words, there's no type of effort or action. In pursuit of pleasure, under the sun, that can produce something that's ultimately permanent or ultimately satisfying. And this is what, again, he's repeating over and over and over again. And, you know, I think the question for us, again, and I've asked it before, even this morning, do you agree with him? do you believe and trust that what he's saying is true? Have you lived enough of your life already to say that rings true? Yes, that rings true. Yes, he's correct. Yes, that's right. I want to, from this point forward, reorder my thinking, my priorities to say this is my purpose. This is my meaning. I want to do whatever the Lord Jesus Christ is leading me to do. In fact, what is the mindset of a spiritual believer? We've looked at it in Romans 6. We've looked at it in Romans 12 we studied through it. It is we count ourselves dead to sin, alive unto God, and then we present our members to the Lord as as instruments of righteousness. That is the mindset. Remember, presentation means to stand near. For many of us, we don't stand near to the Lord. We're not presented to the Lord. We're like, Lord, I'm going to go do my thing. And once you come on over here and present yourself to me present yourself to me as a helper to do my thing. That's how many of us live our Christian life. It's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. By faith, we're, we're standing near or presenting ourselves to the Lord. That's a mindset that we think so many times, well, if I do that, I'm gonna have to give up everything. No, if you do that, you will gain everything. You will, you will gain everything that the Lord has intended for your life. And I trust you, you know, it reminds me of a story of a young boy who was with his mom, she takes him into this candy store in town and, 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 and this young boy had lost his dad years before. And so the candy store owner had a special place in his heart for this young boy. He brought this young man in and he, every time he saw it, he says, I want you, come here, young boy. He says, he lifts off a candy jar and he says, you put your hand in there, you grab as many lollipops as you can get. Just take them. Little boy just stood there with his hands behind his back. And his mom's like, did you hear him take some lollipops? And he wouldn't do it. He would not put his hand in the, what in the world? She knew this kid loved lollipops. She's like, why won't he take these lollipops? So finally the store owner says, you know what? Here, put your hands out. And the store owner reaches down and he grabs a handful and he puts it in the young boy's hands and then they leave. And you know, like mothers, she's walking out of the store. She's like, what is your problem? Like, why are you so rude to this candy store owner? You know what the little boy said? He says, the reason I don't put my hands in there is because he's got bigger hands than I do. And so he knew he was going to get more candy. All right. And I'm just here to tell you that for your life, God's got much bigger hands than you do. He wants to bless you and give you things that you can't even fathom. And all he's saying is, trust me. Will you just trust me? Will you just present yourself to me? Don't chase this. Don't chase that. Don't think that this is where meaning found. This is where purpose found. If we can just reorder our thinking and say, you know what? What Jesus Christ wants for me, I'm good with. That's what I want. Whatever he says, I'm in. If he's going this way, I'm going that way. If he's standing still, I'm standing still. I'm just going to hang out with Jesus. I mean, it's, I mean, we, we overcomplicate our life. You can enjoy anything in life when you're in fellowship with the Lord, even a flat tire on the road, even being beaten and putting in stocks in prison in Philippi. Now, that probably won't happen to most of us here. But I knew a guy. I knew of a guy <laughs> that that happened to. And see, he can enjoy life. He can sing hymns. You know, all four stanzas of amazing grace right there in the Philippian jail, you know. But that's what we're talking about. That's what's available to us in Jesus Christ. And, you know, the question is, do we agree with it? Solomon is clear. This is the truth. This is where it's going to go. Now you have the decision to make. God's a gentleman. He's going to let you make the choice. You have to volitionally choose to say, you know what? I'm in. I'm in. I'm going to reorder my thinking. I've been thinking this way. I've been thinking carnally my entire life. I've been conformed to the image of this world. The world says I need to do this. I need to have this. I need to pursue this. And you know what? I have bought the world's ad agency, hook, line, and sinker. And you know what? Today, I'm not buying that anymore. Because the world's manufacturing department stinks. It does not deliver. Or you can wait until you're at the end of life and then you can give a hearty amen to Solomon after you've ruined and wasted your entire life. So you have the choice. It's, it's ahead of you. And if you're here this morning, you've got a body, you've got breath in your lungs, you still have an opportunity to make a decision. And so what your life is gonna to amount to? And I'm telling you, Jesus Christ has got a plan for you. He's got a plan to utilize you in this life. You know, he uses this word prophet. It's, it's the word he, he says, Um, And going back to to verse 11, there was no profit under the sun. This word profit has the idea of a net profit. What's left over? What's lasting? What's what's still there after everything is done? And when Solomon's life is nearing the end, all his labor's done, his success is quantified. Everybody loves him, knows him. When it's all evaluated, he realizes there's no net profit And it was like a commentator said, it's a big bunch of nothing. And I would even add to that, it's a big bunch of fat, hairy, nothing. Warded up nothing. (laughs) And, And to put it just in plain language, if we think it's anything else, we are not thinking biblically. And we need to be challenged in our thinking to start thinking biblically he's going to get to verse 12 now and you're going to see a little bit of a change in direction because it was all about himself now, but notice what he's going to turn to consider in verse 12. He's going to turn to consider something that we all know that we should value, right? Wisdom. Wisdom's good, right? This is, he's going to turn to wisdom because that's, that makes sense versus, hey, maybe these pleasure, yeah, none of these are working, but let's turn to wisdom and see. And so let's walk through his analysis of wisdom he says then I turn myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly for what can the man do who succeeds the king only what he has already done and you know this is something that Solomon if you remember back in chapter 1 verse 17 he's already mentioned this um, in short but I want you to see his investigation now into wisdom versus madness and folly and after fo- following and focusing on pleasure, he's now going to turn to investigate these opposite poles, wisdom um, and madness and folly. Remember madness and folly, when we talked about it, it's the, the combination of the word emphasizes the, the wild and craziness. Uh, of that side of life, that the wild and crazy side of folly is what he's emphasizing here versus wisdom. And so this change of direction indicates uh, versus pursuing pleasurable pursuits. Now he's going to pursue something that would be considered more noble, wisdom. I'm going to check out wisdom now. And so this is what he does. And you know, what we're going to find is that although Solomon thinks he's getting closer to the answer, all he does is change lanes on the same road to nowhere. This is what we're going to find, that wisdom is not designed to be independently attained from the Lord. And see, that's what many people do with wisdom. They, they try to use it as an independent entity to still do and, and, and extract from life what they want from life. And this is what Solomon is going to find. And so he says this, it's a really good point, but anyone who follows the king, uh, what can he do? only what's already been done. And, you know, Solomon, he, he's going to use this to explain, but the point is this, even if the next king were to build more stuff, acquire more wealth, um, even have more wives, which would be an incredible feat, you know, after Solomon and, and what he uh, accomplished in, the, in that same area. But what he's, his point is this, it's all going to be the same. Not... Not one more thing or one more stuff or one more accomplishment or one more achievement is going to now push him over the edge and say, ah, there's lasting meaning. And so he just lays it out. I'm at the pinnacle of being a king. Even if someone surpassed me, they still wouldn't find what they're looking for in terms of life's meaning. And so what does he say about wisdom? Well, he says wisdom has value. Verse 13, then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. Again, it's the same word he uses, then I saw, consider. And so he's going to look at this concept of wisdom and then he's going to evaluate it. And what he, what he sees is that when he looks at wisdom, it's good. And okay, that's, not, that's not deep truth. We know that. We would agree with that. The people in Solomon's day would agree with that. Um, but what he's going, to, he's going to see is that wisdom has some value especially as it relates to living in folly. And again, that's, this is not deep truth. We understand this. Um, and this is especially true when wisdom is gained through special revelation of the word of God. But you know, there's also worldly wisdom. You know, you can you can look at uh, at the way people run businesses sometimes and some of these managers and the way that they run and organize their businesses. it's like, wow, that was wise. They, they took this knowledge from school and they applied it here. They took this knowledge from life and they applied it here and they made this more efficient. And even better, that's better than folly. But what he's going to find out is this, wisdom that's independent from the Lord is, is not, doesn't have lasting value. And he's going to use a very pertinent example to show us that. But before we get there, He's going to talk about folly, and, and this folly is, is probably synonymous with gratifying his flesh with wine. We saw that back up in verse 3 and all the entertainment that goes with that, and so as he compares these two things, he's going to say that the wise man does certain things and the fool does certain things, and let's just compare those, and the first thing we see in verse 14 is he says this, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I m- myself perceive that the same event happens to them all. We're going to get to that last phrase because he takes a dark turn here. But let's, let's deal with that in a second. Let's just deal with the first couple of phrases. We see that the wise man's eyes are in his head. And Solomon is building on this light versus darkness theme as it relates to wisdom and folly that he mentioned earlier. And he basically says this about the wise man. The wise man in living life considers things evaluates things, makes personal or practical application. He takes in knowledge, and he has this desire to connect knowledge. You know, I used to teach high school math, and the best math students were always the students that could take a problem that I taught yesterday and see the similarities in what they learned yesterday and apply the similarities to what I was teaching today. That's, those are the best math students that you'll ever find on earth is they see problems and they recognize similarities and then they move forward to solve the next problem bad math students do what well this problem said two plus three equals five this one says four plus two i don't know how to do that one you know well you, you <laughs> apply the same principle and two plus three equals five to, to four plus two that's that's how you do it yeah but they're new numbers right but it's the same principle Right. And so wise people, they don't say, oh, well, this is a new situation I've never faced. They say, you know what? I faced a similar situation or I knew of a person that faced this is what they did. And this is how what they knew. And then they begin to apply that truth to their situation, even though it's new for them. And wise people are really good at that. And we're we're amazed when people have wisdom. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great quality and a great trait to have. And this is what he's saying. The wise man is always considering, always evaluating, always trying to take what, what he or she knows and take it and say, okay, where does this apply here? How does this fit together? And this is what wisdom does. He's thinking, he sees, he thinks, he evaluates. Notice what the foolish man does. He doesn't think. His eyes are not in his, his head, as, as the text says. What's the fool do? but the fool walks in darkness. See the difference? The wise man thinks, and the fool just takes off. And, and how many of you have seen that played out in life? You know, it, the, the wise man stops and thinks, he considers, he or she considers, they, they evaluate, they, they try to apply knowledge and truth, and the fool just is like, all right, let's go, off to the next one. It's kind of like just living for the moment. You know, I don't care if a pole's in front of me, I'll just run right into it. It's uh, no big deal. You know, my head will feel better tomorrow or something. And so they just start walking. They just start going. They don't think. They don't evaluate anything. And so the fool will just stumble around in darkness, pursuing one folly after another folly after another folly. They can never get stable or settled in their life. And see, that's one of the things for the believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God wants to provide you stability. If you are a person that just bounces, bounce from thing to thing to thing, that's probably because you're thinking carnally. It's probably because you're not being uh, influenced by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God wants to produce stability and, and, and stableness in your thinking so that you're not bounced to and fro so that he can begin to develop and grow you with roots that are, that are digging deep. This is where we're going to see that Solomon gets frustrated okay? Everything he said so far makes sense to him. Wisdom's good. Folly's bad. Wisdom, this guy is going to look better than the fool. He's going to look like an idiot. So thus we know that wisdom's the answer. But then he says this at the end of verse 14. He says, even though that's the case, they both have the same outcome. He says, yet I myself perceived that the same event happens to them all Notice the sharp turn at this point in the message. You know, and, and for a brief moment, it feels like maybe the book of Ecclesiastes is gonna be over in chapter two. <laughs> He's got the answer. It's wisdom. And we're like, yes, yes, let's, all right, you found the answer. Let's move on to the next book, right? But he doesn't do that. It takes this really weird, dark turn. And where it goes is this. Even though wisdom excels folly, Even though wisdom is to be preferred over folly, Solomon realizes that neither of these paths guarantee an ultimate outcome, or the outcome that it guarantees is the same. And you see the frustration building, right? We said in chapters one and two, Solomon wants to disillusion us with everything in the world so that we don't get our hopes up in anything under the sun apart from Jesus Christ He's doing a good job. The same event that he speaks of, by the way, we're going to see in verse sixteen. He's talking about death. In fact, think about the wisest person you know. Think about the most foolish person you know, and guess where both of them are going to end up—six feet under. Both of them. So you're going to see that that his point is like, okay, then why even pursue wisdom? Who cares? If we just end up in the same place. Why, do, why, why even go that direction is going to be kind of the thought process here. And you know, what he also finds and what we find is true as well, even circumstances in life and outcomes in life are not guaranteed if one pursues wisdom over folly. I mean, you have a better chance to have better outcomes if you behave wisely and you grow spiritually. I mean, that's, that's true. I mean, that's what the Proverbs talks about is, is potential outcomes. But you know what? In life, Under the sun, many times it appears to be the exact opposite. This is why in Psalm 73, and this is what I love about the Bible, the Bible's just honest about life. It's not trying to paint some rosy picture and say, oh, it's always going to be great, you know, wink, wink, wink kind of deal. No, it's like, no, sometimes it stinks. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. This is why Asaph in Psalm 73, you might be familiar with that Psalm, but he's like, why do the wicked prosper? Why Why does it rain on me and it shines sun on this guy? He's such a, you know, jerk. And he seems to continue to succeed. Why does that happen? This is similar what Solomon is saying. It's like, well, you can pursue wisdom or you could pursue folly, but you know what? In the end, it doesn't really matter because you end up in the same place. And, you know, he is so frustrated and disillusioned as he's seen this in his life that he's sharing this with us. And, you know, this is what's incredible about the way that we take this too is, is many people think that if we can just understand how things work in life, that if we can be smarter or get smarter or outsmart the system, if we can insulate our, ourselves from trials, and many of us try to to learn and grow so that we can learn how to insulate ourselves from trials so that we don't have to face trials as much. Although the word of God says that God uses trials for the very purpose of growing us spiritually. So we're not going to avoid them. But many of the times we spend a lot of energy insulating or trying to insulate ourselves from trial. We think that if we can do all these things, then and only then will we find meaning and purpose in life. We, we trust in outsmarting the system. We, we trust in wisdom independently from the Lord. And see, the wisdom that comes from the Lord says this. You know what? God says I've got, He's got a purpose in trials. Okay. Then He's got a purpose in trials. And James 1 says that I'm to count it all joy. In in various trials, not just the ones that don't hurt me very much, but various multicolored, the, the word multivarigated, multicolored trials, all, all different sorts of trials. And why does he do that? To produce perseverance and patience and spiritual maturity. And see, wisdom would say, you know what? Okay, God says that's what I need. I'm good. I'm all in. And it's not that you enjoy trials. I don't know who, I mean, unless you like pain bring on the pain. I mean, unless you're crazy that way, but, I, but it, nobody likes pain, but if we can see the end goal, we can endure. We can remain under those things. Some of the things that he's seeing here, it just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't make sense. Of course, wisdom should result in better outcomes, but it doesn't always result in better outcomes. And so the, the question for us at that point is, okay, well then do we just continue pursuing wisdom or just give up on the whole thing and And just live life. And however it happens, it happens. Que sera, sera. I'm going to die. I'm going to end up six foot under anyway. So who cares? Right? This, This fatalistic, this pessimistic approach to life. And so it leads to this kind of thinking. Why even try? Verse 15. Let's read it. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity. And so the fool faces trials and unexplainable things in life, as does the wise men, and then the fool dies just like the wise men. Their outcome is exactly the same. And so he's basically saying, why do I even do this? That's the logical question. What advantage the, then does somebody who's pursuing wisdom have over the fool in terms of lasting meaning in life? And the question is, why even pursue wisdom or knowledge if it's not gonna give me a better outcome in life? You can see his frustration. It's, it's kind of depressing, right? I think I've said this before. These are, these are moments in my study where I just, I got to go find a window. Like, I just, gotta, I got to see the light because it's depressing. You're like, man, if I read this too long, I might start to agree with him, you know? let's like mail this thing in. But no, it's like, I mean, seriously, you can understand the frustration here. You can understand why he's disillusioned. But guess what? If you're dis- disillusioned with things down here, guess what? You're going to be excited about things up there. It, it, we, we studied yesterday at the men's retreat, Colossians 3.2, two, two commands there. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. And, and Solomon is doing a great job of, of communicating Colossians 3.2 in the Old Testament. That if you set your mind on things on the earth, you're going to be disillusioned. You're going to be frustrated. So just quit looking at those things to meet those deep, lasting, longing needs of purpose and meaning and start occupying yourself with Jesus Christ. That's where true life is. That's where abundant life is. Again, he, he says here in verse 15, it's a fog. It's, it's a mist. He says in his heart, this also is vanity. It's, it's again, it you can't, grasp or understand this value and this is probably what we want to take away from this wisdom concept wisdom has relative value let's not downplay wisdom let's not react the way that solomon may be reacting here like oh who cares then who gives and that's kind of i mean he's he's doing that for effect. but it it has relative value but when it's not yoked up to be in fellowship with the lord it is it has no value just like everything else under the sun, in our human experience. Wisdom is not designed to make you independent from the Lord. That's what we have to be convinced of. God never wants you or me independent of him pursuing anything. Everything we pursue ought to be hand in hand with Jesus Christ, pursuing it independence upon him. Anything that we pursue. And that would clear up a lot of our focus, a lot of our motives, a lot of everything that we tend to just mess up in life. We could just change our thinking and begin to actively trust the Lord in everything that we do. You know, it's really fascinating because in verse 16, he makes this comment, and it's just, it's such a practical, great comment. He says, for there's no remembrance of the wise and of the fool forever, since all that now is, will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? As the fool. Again, why is the independent pursuit of wisdom vanity? This is, he uses this word for to further explain why. Because no one's going to remember either the fool or the wise. When, when they go into the grave, there's no lasting profit in this pursuit. You know, there are many wise people uh, that have lived in this world that are laying in their grave right next to a fool. And if you went to their gravestone, you wouldn't know who was who or which was which. Just by standing on top of their grave, you wouldn't understand the difference between them. You know, I did some research on this. Kind of interesting. Ben Franklin is buried. Um, Everyone know? Yeah, Ben Franklin. I mean, really, really successful guy. I mean, compared to, I mean, did a lot of incredible things for this nation, even inventions and things like that. He is buried at Christ Church Burial Ground in Philadelphia. He's buried with four other signers of the Declaration of Independence in the same burial yard. But you know what? Do you know who else is buried there? I don't either. (laughs) I don't either. But there are other people buried there. And I guarantee if we were to dig them up and watch a video of their life, there's a fool sharing the same ground with Ben Franklin in that burial yard. And you know what? We wouldn't know the difference. We wouldn't even be able to, oh, okay. You know, it wasn't like somebody put a green mark on top of a headstone. Oh, this was a fool, you know? We wouldn't even know. And that's what he's trying to say. What's what's the value? And so he says, since all that now is gonna be forgotten in the days to come, he's saying that even if a man pursued wisdom instead of folly, the effect of what he did, the effect of what he occupied himself in this life would be insignificant, whatever path he took apart from the Lord. Again, everything we're talking about is apart from the Lord, okay? Independent from the Lord, even if somebody were to pursue wisdom all their life. In fact, think of all the great philosophers, and I use that term great like tongue in cheek, you know, because many philosophers were not great people. In fact, they're, they're imbeciles who, who spoke a lot and thought they were really smart. They said stupid things and people said, wow, that's deep, you know? And it's, no, it was just dumb. It it wasn't deep. It was another D word. It was dumb. It was not smart at all. And see, this is exactly what philosophers do. What do they do? They pursue wisdom. But the second you introduce divine perspective to them, they don't even want to hear it. They're pursuing wisdom apart from God. And you see where the philosophy of this world takes us. The disillusionment that he's painting is dancing dangerously close to pessimism and fatalism. But understand that's not his message, okay? We are eventually, in verse 24 of chapter 2, we are going to get some divine viewpoint introduced into the conversation. And that's going to be a day where, you know, the sun is going to be shining. and <laughs> We're going to be able to take a deep breath because all of this depression You know, it's going to go away because we can occupy ourselves with divine perspective, even though this life doesn't always make sense. We're going to get there eventually. But he does this for effect. He he paints this fatalistic picture for effect. And by the way, how does a wise man die? The same exact way that a fool dies. And I love the way he ends this. And we'll just read this verse and, and we'll comment more about this next week. Verse 17. Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me for all is vanity and grasping for the wind what an honest assessment of somebody's frustrated with life i hated life i hated life now you know what's what's going to be interesting next week is we look at the next dead end street is everything that Solomon has done up to this point in time has been for himself, just specifically for himself, a a personal pleasure pursuit for himself. The next dead end street we're going to see is he's going to take the mindset that a lot of people do, well, what if I take everything that I've gained and I leave it to somebody else? That's got to provide lasting meaning, right? That's got to provide purpose in life, right? And we'll see where he comes up to. We'll see if that's the road that breaks through to Bali or somewhere tropical. (laughs) Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, we just want to leave here today convinced more than ever that life without your son in the middle of our lives is worthless and not worth living. We want to be convinced, Lord, and, and persuaded that that some some in this room may need to, to challenge the way that we're thinking, may need to challenge the priorities that we have in life to align more consistently with what you want, realizing, Lord, that that true joy and purpose and meaning and fulfillment will simply come as we begin to walk by faith in you and to be involved and engaged in the things that you'd have us be involved and engaged in. And would you just take away these ideas that we have, these, these grand ideas that if we can pursue something else here, there, or try this, or try that, or accomplish something that we haven't accomplished yet, that that would give us value and meaning. And let us be convinced that as we live life, we can find value and meaning in the day-to-day, the mundane, walking with you, doing whatever it is that you've called us to in that moment. May we be convinced and persuaded of that. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.